Well, today, then, what I want to do uh, uh, is for a few minutes is just to reflect on the psalm. That, uh, we're interrupting our normal Sunday morning series where we're doing, currently doing a series called Christian, where we're looking at some of the foundations of the Christian faith. And today is simply a talk called Revive Us. Revive Us. Where to turn in uncertain times. Have you ever been in a situation where you've got your phone out and you're supposed to be videoing something and it hasn't worked? Put your hands if you've done that. A few years ago, uh, me and Noah were doing something really wonderful and I gave my mum the phone to video it. Sadly, I got a video of her knee. Uh, But anyway, one of the things that's going around on social media at the moment, which is lovely, is when parents do a funny dance and they ask their little children to video it. But the parents deliberately, rather than videoing the parents doing the dance, set it so that the video captures the child's reaction to the parents' dance. But the child doesn't know this. They think they're videoing their mum or their dad. The key question, though, is what do we do when we get our focus wrong? And we live in uncertain times in a changing world. And where do we focus? Where do we turn to? Because there's a danger of focusing on the wrong thing, as if we're getting the cameras of our lives focusing in the wrong direction. And as you'll know, as we mentioned, I've been on sabbatical, uh, which is simply a sort of three-month time out, like a pit stop in a Formula One race for refreshment and so on. One of the bits of the Bible that I've been returning to again and again is Psalm 85. I'd encourage you at home to just immerse yourself in it. A beautiful psalm. It's a prayer that I was praying for me, for my family, for our nation, but ultimately also for us as a church. Psalm 85 is written in hugely uncertain times. They don't quite know when it was written, but it seems like they're coming back. They've come back when they were kind of cast out of their nation. They're now back. Uh, And the psalmist is writing to remember the old times and longing for God to do the same again. As well, he turns back and turns forwards. In a shaken world, it's a prayer to turn back to God and asking that God would turn back to us and revive us. And why are we looking at this today? Well, we live in a world where there's huge financial problems for so many of us. Well, we we once thought a pension was secure and it's now faltering. Or, Or our salaries are not keeping up with the cost of living as we go to the supermarket. For many of us, relationships that we once thought were secure, COVID has knocked out and they're now in tatters. For others of us, our career that we thought was so certain, we're now wobbling on. Either we don't like it or we've been treated badly or simply it's no longer there. For others of us at school, the exam results that we'd hoped for weren't there and things are tricky and we're not quite sure we can do the subjects anymore. For some of us, the health that we once thought was so robust, suddenly we've now got some test results or we're awaiting them. What do we do? Where do we turn when times are uncertain? And in this psalm, there's different directions the psalmist looks. Let me read it through you. Psalm 85. 
Firstly, he looked back. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath. You turned from your fierce anger. There was a day that he's able to look back to and say, I remember that day, God, when times were good. And some of us, I know, are in that situation now where we look back to times in our lives and we look back with a wistful longing when relationships were sweet, when health was stronger, when fear was no longer crippling. And for some of us as church, we look back to times where God was so incredibly on the move that hundreds of people were coming to faith. For others of us, we look back to times in our nation where it just seemed so more, so, so, clear, so much clearer, so much easier, so less complex. And he looks back to the past. And on this Remembrance Sunday, he remembers when God did amazing things. And so he pleads with God. The psalm goes on. So Lord, restore us again, O God our Savior. Put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger, not just now, but through all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. It's a simple cry. Do it again, Lord. You've done it in the past. Please do it again in my life, in my day, in our church, in our nation, in our world. Please, Lord, you've done it in the past. Please do it again. Revive us. Don't let this carry on for generations. One of the prayers through my sabbatical for me was, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired of not making the difference I long to make for Jesus in my life. I'm tired of the same old insecurities, the same old patterns. Lord, revive. Revive me. And what do you do when you pray that? Well, the psalmist goes on. He doesn't just pray. He adopts a sort of posture, an attitude, and this is what he says. Having prayed all of this, having looked back, I will listen to what God says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn back to their folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Having looked back, having cried out to God, he says, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to go running after other gods. I'm not going to turn back to my folly. I'm just going to wait because surely, surely you're going to move. God, your salvation is near. There's a promise. And what is that promise? Well, the psalm goes on. The promise is that love and faithfulness meet together. That righteousness and peace do kiss each other. Almost as if those things that we're longing for, love, somebody to really love who I am, not who I should be. Somebody to be faithful. A world in which there's righteousness and justice, not inequality. And where there's frankly peace, not war again and again and again. But he puts it in a person where those things kiss each other. And faithfulness brings up from the earth. Righteousness looks down from heaven. Heaven and earth kiss and meet. The Lord will indeed give what is good. Our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. 
He looks to that day where God himself will step in. And of course, we live on the other side of the cross, where once and for all, righteousness and peace, love and faithfulness, kissed. So that all of us, whether we would say we're a Christian or not, whether our past is haunting or not, if we trust in Jesus, can say, yes, the future is bright. Better days are ahead. We stand in that promise. And in a moment, what we're going to be doing at baptism is simply sharing in four people who've done the same. They've looked back to that event where God stepped in, when Jesus stepped in and died on a cross for them. And so they know they're forgiven. They know their future is safe and secure with Christ. That's what they're simply declaring. With all the questions, with all the mess, that's what they're doing this morning. But why, why go through all this? Why this psalm for us? Now, well, I want to simply suggest that in uncertain times and in the kind of changing world that we are in, there is a real temptation to turn in any direction except towards Jesus. Uh, one of the joys I had during on sabbatical is I had a, uh, a lifelong ambition. I went to Berlin. And if you don't know, Berlin has this amazing museum called the Jewish Museum. Uh, it is a beautiful, haunting, powerful, disturbing museum looking, of course, at the Holocaust. In it, there's this, all the stuff around the Holocaust, and there's also this kind of reflection on Judaism. And in there, there's this bit where there's this interactive sections, and there's this one section that really caught my eye. Here it is. There's this little quiz where you get to work out if you're the Messiah. <laughs> and you've got this sort of selection box with little questions. Are you male? Are you such and such? Are you such and such? And you work through. Uh, and I went with John Auger and John Auger, and he wasn't the Messiah. You'll be pleased to know. <laughs> close. He was close. All but one. And I, I begin to wonder, as I was looking at that, I wonder if in an uncertain world, many of us live as though we are the Messiah. We turn our direction inwards or to other people rather than to the one who really is the only hope that we have. Danger always comes when humanity thinks that it has the solutions. William Blake famously once said these words, you become what you behold. My prayer for myself and for all of us was, what are we beholding? Are we focusing on ourselves and our own lives? Are we focusing on those around us that keep on letting us down? Are we focusing on those around us that we aspire to be? Or are we focusing on the one who is the hope of all, Jesus? You become what you behold. And in this psalm, there's a key verse, verse 6. Here it is. Will you not revive us again so that your people may be successful? No. So that your people may do amazing things for God? No. So that the church will blossom? No. So that lives will be hunky-dory? No. So that your people may rejoice in you. The key to revival in our lives and the outworking of revival in our lives in our city is a rejoicing in the king. All about Jesus. And so friends, in uncertain times, let's not get our cameras wrong. 
Let's be fixated on the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's keep our eyes, our affections, our journey towards Jesus. And what might that mean? I think four questions, four directions. Firstly, for us, I think it changes how we see our world. Can I say, friends, many of us who have lived in the Western world for quite a while presume a certain set of values and presume a certain trajectory that is around growth, freedom, and life getting better. Might I suggest the future may not look like the previous few decades? I saw an amazing picture the other day. Look at this map of the world. I don't know if you can see that, a map of the globe and a yellow circle. Did you know more people live inside that yellow circle than outside that yellow circle? And of course, rapidly growing. The values that many of us depend on may not be the values at the end of the 21st century for a whole host of reasons. Friends, the world needs Jesus, not westernization. Jesus is the hope of the world, not democracy. Jesus is the hope of the world, not our businesses that we're exporting all over the planet. Jesus is the hope of our world. Changes how we see the news. Changes how we pray. Secondly, not just for our world, but what about for our nation and city? Three people this week have said to me versions of everything's pretty broken in our country, isn't it? Just a neighbor literally walking past our house the other day. We were chatting about it and he said, I don't like saying it, but everything's going to pot, isn't it? A friend of mine who I follow on Twitter, he said this, just been to Tesco for one bag of very ordinary groceries, onions, fish fingers, noodles, squash, no alcohol, no treats, all own economy brands, 43 pounds. I'm scared. How are we going to live? And friends, we look to the politicians or the leaders of our nation to be the hope. Uh, can I humbly suggest, if the last few weeks have taught us anything, let alone our lifetimes, politicians are not the hope of our nation. Left or right, whatever way you choose, they're not the hope of our nation. Jesus is. The solution will not come from left or right. And it shocks me as I was thinking on my sabbatical how often I look at the news and it gets caught up so emotionally with what's going on rather than turning it to prayer. Lord Jesus, have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on our city. All the brokenness and the systems that are fractured in our city. Friends, the gods of our age are faltering. The health that we live for, the economy that we've invested in, the education we try and do, the careers we try and build, the relationships we invest in. In so many ways, they're faltering left, right, and center. Jesus is the only one that can carry us through, friends, the one who has beaten even death. And can I say to our young people here, thank you for all that you bring to the life of Riverside. You have much to teach us. We have much to learn. I was reading some stats this week 
that in the UK, less than 3% of under-18s engage with the Bible in any meaningful way, which is reading it more than once a week. But over 60% of under-18s are open to knowing more about the Bible. So for you guys that are here, we love you and we want the best for you. You are our teachers as well as us walking with you. And we want to be rock solid for you as you go forwards into the future. Because you're the ones who can reach in that generation, that open generation. There'll be times you get it wrong, as we've heard in the stories. But we as a family, we are with you. We want to be the backbone so that you might stand faithfully clinging to Jesus. And might I say for us who are parents, I wonder if one of the greatest gifts we can try and give our children is the awareness that following Jesus is tricky and might make them unpopular. And therefore helping them to choose for Jesus when they don't need to, so that then when it comes to the times where they do need to, the choice has already been made. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So for our nation, our city, Jesus. But the third thing, I think this has something powerful to say about our church. Jesus is everything. Not programs, not structures, not buildings. Jesus. Over the coming months, we're going to be looking again at how we're doing and what might the future look like. We pray for a new building to replace Riverside House, but we need to say, God, please do something. But we can't just wait till this building materializes. We, there's so much going on right now that God is doing amazing things and we need to make more space and more opportunity for more of that to happen. Looking at bold ways to do that. And I wonder if churches like us that have worked so hard at being accessible, sometimes we, we forget that Jesus is distinctive. Jesus is the only hope. And we want to present Jesus to this city in every single way we can. Both in our affections, in our programs, but in the very DNA, if you were to break us in half. It's all about Jesus, friends. And then finally, for us as individuals, us as people. It might be there are one or two people here this morning, whether you're here to watch friends getting baptized, or you're just here as a guest. It is so good to have you here. You know that your life ain't all that. And the things that you've been living for are looking pretty fragile and precarious. And this morning there is an opportunity for you to turn towards the one who really is the hope, who can get you even beyond the grave for the first time. You may have a billion questions, but you know that God is at work in your life, whether you'd use that language or not. There will be an opportunity in a moment for you to say yes to Jesus. I don't get it. I've got loads of questions, but I'm putting my hand in the one who's got it all in his hands. And for others of us, those of us at the kind of tail end of our lives or, you know, the sort of evening chapter of life, You be the judge of whether that's you or not. You might look back to the glory days and it cause an ache and a sadness. 
You might look back to the days where you felt useful. Might I suggest that in God's goodness, the better days are ahead. Keep your eyes fixed on the king. Will you not revive us, Lord, so that your people may rejoice in you? You've got years ahead in which you can make a massive difference for the king. And finally, for those that are wondering about their past and looking forward to the future, the psalm begins with some words that we never read when we read the Bible. There's the bit where it says the psalm number, and then there's the kind of bit of the text, and then there's this word, this bit, at the very beginning. It says this. This psalm was for the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. We skip over those bits. I don't know if you know who Korah was. Korah was one who basically led a rebellion against Moses. He tried to unseat God's anointed leader. And here you've got in the Bible, his sons, generations after, leading worship in the temple. Friends, can I say to you, if you are wondering if God's good future is there for you because of your past... Because of the generations. You wonder, maybe from parents here, you're wondering if you've just messed it up and you're not sure whether you've been a good enough parent in your own eyes and you're worried. Let this be an encouragement. Generations later, the sons of Korah were leading worship in the, in the temple, even though their father really messed up. And for others of us, we know the generational story in our life is one in which we've inherited things from our parents that are not good. Things in our heads, in our hearts, in our outwork lived experience. And we think, I can't be free of that. Friends, you can be. Will you not revive us again so that your people will rejoice in you? Let's be a church stepping forward. Not trusting in us, not focusing on our own abilities. But looking to the king above all kings.